What's going on, everybody? Good morning. Well, it's morning for us here. Maybe afternoon, evening. I don't know as you're listening to this, but welcome to the Ask LC podcast. My name is Harrison Gilming, Director of Worship Arts here at Lake Forest in Huntersville. And here I am sitting here, Mike Moses, lead pastor of Lake Forest Church, Huntersville. Uh, good to be with you all today. We are today's uh, primary subject is something that has been keeping you up at night. I am quite sure. That's and right. no, I do not mean March Madness. But that has seriously been keeping me up at night. I like literally. This is the morning after right now. Yeah, and my body needs March Madness to be over. Mm-hmm. Um, so for ACC fans, it lasted longer than fans of other tournaments. But so I'm not talking about that keeping you up. But it's a it's a biblical theological question that I'm sure has been on all of your minds constantly, and it's this theories of the atonement of Jesus Christ. I'm, I mean, I am actually excited to hear all this. So <laughs> to which awesome. you might say, wait a minute, Mike, you preached about the atonement uh, of Christ Sunday, but you just said plural theories of the atonement. We'll explain after these messages. Awesome. No, no not really. We don't do sponsorships on here. We should though. I mean, we could. We could. We could. Then, mm-hmm. then we could define coffee. That's right. our free cup of Joe today <laughs> right. is brought to you by the reason that Mike and Harrison are more awake than normal. Is That's right. Use the code. Coffee. Use the code word Mike and Harrison for free. <laughs> uh, if, okay, that's funny. If we could, if we could get them to hook us up with a couple extra uh, lattes, that would not be bad. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we're we're gonna get into that just here in just a little bit. Before we do that, just a couple of. Quick things we want to tell Brought you about. to you by you our friends at Huntersville Police Department. That's right. Use the code Mike and Harrison for one free warning. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> oh, man. I was man. just thinking, I just walked through our lobby and they're all like half the forces. Out yeah. There. Oh, man. That would be great. <laughs> if, if we could swing that, that would be fantastic. All right. Let's work on the sponsorship angle. Okay. I'll get on that. I'll okay. S- I'll but I interrupted you. No, you're good. You're good. I was just saying we're going to share a couple of quick things. Uh, that are happening, that have been happening to get you guys caught up on, and then we'll dive into the good stuff. So first off, uh, we're getting close to it as we're in the subject matter that that we're in. Uh, We are headed full speed toward Easter here in just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Easter uh, is uh, April. We're celebrating it here April 16th and 17th, Saturday and Sunday, as we are back into a season of life where a couple more people are coming through our doors. Yeah, and we just want to be like Jesus, Harrison. The Sabbath starts at sundown the evening of mm-hmm. before. So technically, if we're still on campus eating our picnic at sundown, it will have been Easter worship on Saturday evening. That's that, right. That's actually become a favored um, option for families for very different reasons uh, for individuals. So... Uh, I enjoy the Saturday evening as I do Christmas Eve Eve worship. That's just become a really neat thing. Um, if you if you um, if you have found this podcast and are newer to Lake Forest, or if you're one of our folks that listens all the time, and you are probably the kind of awesome person if you listen to this that would have invited uh, a couple of your one more persons in your life to come check out Lake Forest during Hope and House of Blues. Uh, Easter is a fantastic yeah. second invite back to those folks yeah. to get them uh, just hanging here with us. And, you know, we were striving to make the service all 100% joy because we did Hope in a House of Blues. And then we realized, oh, now we're doing Good Friday and Silent Saturday. 
which are appropriate you know, to match those passages biblically in our worship service is, you know, we're meditating on the death of Jesus. So we're going to do all joy on Easter. We're not going to take any time to restart at Good Friday or anything. Uh, Yes, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, uh, Aaron and I, Aaron, the pastor at Westlake Church, and I have already been co-writing that message. I'm thrilled about the passage we're using. I, I think... I'm really excited about it. I don't know that I've ever heard it's it is a gospel passage, but it's not a typical uh Easter passage. I'm I'm pretty fired up about it and it's Jesus' own words mm-hmm. about the significance um the signification of his predicted resurrection after three days. So um It's a good teaser. <clears throat> yeah, like well the, yeah, that we're looking forward to that. <laughs> Last week in preparation for Easter, so we um our elders this year, you know, we're coming with our budget. Oh, we've been very financially healthy as a church and the elders have recognized extra stress that our staff have gone through. We've we've been one of those organizations during the pandemic couple of years and all the other things around it. We've been the type of organization that um that has uh, had to move through it um, in order to continue because we exist. We exist to serve people and their real needs, and therefore, um, our staff have been in the stress of the stress with lots of people, with some of you, even while we've gone through our own stress. And our elders have been so kind and to do two things: to recognize to the whole staff, you all have led our church well and to be harmonized and unified at this point in time. Thank you for that. And we know it took a lot out of you. And so they've recognized our staff in a few different ways. We've had an extra number of some gift staff lunches with elders coming and saying some Mm -hmm. kind things and uh, representative gifts. There was some artwork that was gifted to the staff at one point. Um, But uh, this was interesting. This was not me or Mitch or or any staff advocating. It was in our budget process, Harrison, uh, at some point in in, uh, November. The elders initiated, hey, is there a healthy, uh, life-giving staff retreat amount in next year's budget? And Mitch and I looked at him and said, "Um, no. (laughs) We haven't done that in some years. And you know, it's sort of a cost cutter, you know, and who knows what the pandemic is going to be. And they said, please put it in there. Mm. So we just had that last week at the Young Life Camp in outside of Brevard, North Carolina. It was all staff, all of our family of churches staff, and almost every single person made it. And that's a lot of folks. It was for, a lot of all of our it was a good uh, churches. We maxed out the adult guest lodge there, had to have a few people over in another part of the camp. Um uh, uh, pastor Bob, the assist, who is the assistant pastor at Lake Forest Westlake, his wife did all the massive cooking for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just, we worshiped, we hung out, we had intention. We've got a lot of new staff at each of our churches. And so we did a lot of community building within each church staff and then among the church staff. Um, Harrison, why don't you tell them kind of what the devotional theme was? The, the, the staff were, we had just finished Hope in a House of Blues, so there was a fatigue factor. And now we're about to head toward Easter. I appreciated the, the devotional uh, um, emphasis of it, uh, but, which, by the way, was led by um, our assistant pastors at Huntersville and Westlake, Jeff Cook and Bob DeBoer, and then Mitch as our executive pastor. And what they did was, uh, just let us devotionally each session 
through all the chapters of Luke, mm-hmm. when when it, from when it first says Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, and he says, you know, uh, Son of Man will be raised up, you know, and die after three days, etc. From that point, we just walked with Jesus on his way to the mm-hmm. cross, so that our staff will have gone through this journey, worship wise and devotionally, before we take our churches on this journey, which was, I thought, a brilliant move, and we just relaxed into it. We took notes. Each of those three men preached. Uh, mm. Aaron Maynard led the worship for us, so here at Lake Forest Hunters, everybody knows who that is. Um, it was just glorious, uh, and it was capped off <laughs> one night. This was total surprise. It was a surprise to me. Okay, I was a participant. Um I was not in charge of this, and and I have my faults, but one of them is not a micromanager. I did not; <laughs> those three guys were in charge. I trust them. I was like, "Great, can't wait!" I'll. What That's time awesome. do do I show up with everybody mm-hmm. else? And so after dinner, t- uh, whatever night, um, okay, be sure you have some tennis shoes on. Uh, and we all walk down to the big dining hall on the camp, and we walk in. And the region's uh, best-known bluegrass band is playing a personal concert for us as we walk in as our staff. So we enjoyed a concert for a little bit. And then uh, this the guy, their lead singer, is a third-generation professional uh, square dance caller. <laughs> so we then had a ho- – we proceeded, I think is the way to say this. We proceeded <laughs> – to have a hoedown. Have a hoedown. Uh, I, I posted a, uh, well, Lake Forest Huntersville posted, and I reposted a, a brief video of that on Facebook. It, just the, the laughter of it, uh, I heard one person, uh, uh, our staff is not perfect, but we're in a pretty healthy place these days. Um, and, and I heard from one church staff member somewhere where there's just a lot of um, angst and issues, um, and it's not a pleasant place to work right now, said that they were they were... Uh, it blessed them to hear the laughter in the hoedown clip um, and to see genuine um, relationship and collegiality. The, it's been definitely a theme as long as I've been a part of Lake Forest that um, our our staff to each other and our elders to our staff, there's just so much um, – there's, there's so much generosity and there's so much genuine interest in – um, you know, that you can get, you can ask the question, Hey, how are you doing? And then you can ask the question, Hey, how are you really doing? Mm-hmm. And I, I find that there have always been uh, a lot of people around here for us as part of the staff team that genuinely asked that question mm-hmm. and help follow up to get us to good places and say, how are you really doing? And they want to know, and they want to pour into the lives of our staff team as, as our staff team are called divinely called to pour into the lives of the people of our church. So it works really well like that. And kind of this mutually, we got each other's back and it's really cool. One, our session that was sweetest to me was we broke up into the four churches and, and some of our staff who are what we call shared staff or shared services that serve the administrative and uh, operational needs of all of our churches. They went with our two newest church plants, U City and Westlake. I mean, and uh, El Buen, Samaritano. Uh, and what we did was we we did these uh, 15, 20 minute increments. Where at first, uh, Lake Forest Huntersville and Lake Forest U City Church grouped up, and we spent five minutes of LFC U City saying, "Here's how to pray for us personally and as mm-hmm. a church." And then Huntersville staff gathered around. 
and we just prayed all over them for 15, 20 minutes. And while Westlake was doing that with El Buen. And then we switched and did it Westlake Hunters. We got every combination. And by the end, the themes were four or five of us together. How can we pray for you personally? Mm. It was a really sweet time. And um, what you just said was when I came in first thing yesterday, Monday morning, after the atonement sermon, you know, several staff were like, how are you doing, Mike? You know, and probably one or two of them were saying, how are you really doing? And, yeah. and I said, you know, you don't need to ask me how I'm doing or how I'm really doing. For six months, I'm a Tar Heel fan <laughs> and Tar Heel family. I am at the core well, of my being. I am doing well for at least six months. You don't even need to ask me again until September <laughs> because great. of our, our triumphant victory over Duke. Okay, with that, that why don't we great. transition? That was great. All right, let's talk about the atonement. Mike, you preached about it on Sunday. <laughs> um, so to begin to begin this whole thing, let me attempt this, and I'll get it wrong, and then you can correct me. So okay. basically, in in layman's terms and semi-theological terms when we talk about the atonement as a theological concept we are talking about uh the work of christ on the cross and what that means for us what is what is the act of christ's death on the cross and his resurrection Mm -hmm. mean for us in terms of our relationship with god our salvation is that close-ish yes the 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 most important thing that every Christian agrees on is uh, naming Jesus as your Savior. Like the world's two to three billion professing Christians today uh, agree with this. Jesus is Lord and Savior, uh, and through him and him alone I am reconciled with God. This is called the atonement. Um, it, it's I, I think, and I, I didn't, I alluded to this in the sermon. I think it's interesting that it's one of the uh, uh, words in our theology, in the core of our theology, that actually isn't a Hebrew or a Greek or a Latin root. Hmm. It's actually an English root. The the word that has lived in our Western, at least, English-speaking countries, um, and, of course, it means to be in harmony with or to become at one with God. And so the atonement is humankind's reconciliation with God through the sacrificial death of christ that is universal christian agreement i never i I will i always i can remember the chair i was sitting in in pasadena california my first uh week of classes in seminary when i realized after three years of full-time ministry after college hey i'm called to do ministry for the rest of my life if i'm going to teach the bible my whole life i want the best tools possible so i went to seminary and there i was sitting there young mikey in southern california (laughs) And, uh, and it was a New Testament, it was going to be a Gospels class, and he's outlining where we're going to go for the semester, and he puts this thing up that says, Theories of the Atonement. And I'm, wait a minute, there's an atonement? That's it. There's an atonement. Yeah. Uh, we are uh, reconciled with God through the sacrificial death of Christ, and, in, and of course, including his, the power of his resurrection. But what, what I didn't understand, what was interesting to learn... Uh, and still is to me today, is there, there throughout history there's been some strong actually disagreement on how this reconciliation is achieved through the death of Christ or even why it is achieved. Now, I don't want to overemphasize the disagreement among these theories of atonement uh, because most of them are an amplification 
or an emphasis of, of one or more biblical passages. Uh, and I'm not going to share any theories of atonement that I don't think are firmly rooted in Scripture. Um, and so, uh, you know, Christ brought us back to God, but how? Why were we separated from God in the first place? Is the atoning work of Christ about the Son or the Father or us mostly? Um, and interestingly, uh, at least the way, and, and this is, I would say this is a Western Christian thing, almost from the beginning. I think Eastern Orthodoxy has not exercised itself so much about this. And actually they have fixated on one primary theory that I'll share. Uh, but Western civilization based on our Greek heritage, you know, um, educational heritage wants to dissect everything and parse everything and hyper define it. That's the greatest critique of the earliest Christian council councils, like the, how much is Jesus God and man, and how do those two fit together, and what's the liminal boundary between the? <laughs> oh yeah, like, like we don't have access to that information, but they sure worked hard on the questions. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I, and so I don't want to make too much of the theories of atonement because to make too much of it is to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is interesting to note that uh, the Bible actually uses several different pictures, metaphors, words that have become that some people have turned into distinct schools of thought. And there are Christians who've said, oh, it's this one way. So how about if I lay out, um, I, we'll see how many I decide to, to lay out, three or four theories that have shaped mostly Christian thought. That um, sounds good. Let's dive in. Okay. Um, there is an, and I'm, I'm kind of going off of a Gospel Coalition blog that lays, lays them out nicely here, so I didn't pull out my, what year would that have been? 1990 textbook mm. back there in Pasadena, California. Um, I would have had to go up into my barn, deep into the boxes, under a bunch of mouse poop to find that book. Um, but it's up there, much to Angie's chagrin. I am uh, – some ch children are anal retentive. I am book retentive. I, I understand that. Yeah, the dream is one day, you know, maybe my ship will come in and we'll own a castle. I'll have one of those libraries, <laughs> Yeah, you know, like with the sliding. Yeah, um, yeah the giant ladders. ladders. Yeah, mm. oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. Every book I've ever owned will be in that gigantic room. Or it's all going to go to the dump. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with the ladder. A man can dream. The ladder room, yeah. I, I mean, like my dreams better. are unique. Um Okay, let's so the uh, Christ as ransom. This is ransom theory. And did you read C.S. Lewis's space trilogy, his science fiction trilogy? No, no, I'm listening right oh, now. To, I'm listening to to some Narnia with oh. my kids on the way to school every morning. But no, I have not read the, that. They won't really get um, you just for your fun, yeah. your own fun. You need to read the space. Tri it's it's, okay. it's good science fiction. Yeah. Number one. Uh, it's by C.S. Lewis, but it, it's allegorical. And the, the main character is named Ransom. Hmm. Um, uh, and he he is dealing with the Ransom theory of atonement in one of those hmm. three books. Uh, it's the, By the way, there are books that deal with um, the fall. They re-envision the fall. Like, what if that was about to happen on another planet and Adam and Eve are uh, the, the new equivalent of Adam and Eve. Are, hmm. And it's a way of just looking at the psychological dynamics of the fall. Hmm. Of temptation, uh, so the ransom theory uh, is, uh, and and this one actually seems to have been most predominant in the first thousand years of Western Christianity. A ransom was paid to Satan 
in exchange for releasing humans from the bondage of sin. Satan had control over humanity since the fall, and only the soul of perfectly innocent Jesus would be an acceptable payment for the return of humanity to the Father. But unbeknownst to the devil, Jesus was God. So after three days, Jesus left hell, returned to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. That's the ransom theory. Now, nothing that I said there actually was really untrue, right? You're like, well, that's weird. I mean, it's a unique emphasis of the atonement. Uh, the strongest biblical support of this one, uh, uh, the ransom theory, comes from the words of Jesus himself in Matthew twenty twenty eight. Quote, just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Ransom for many. Good job. Uh, I was mid Dr. Pepper. Uh, I was not prepared. <laughs> good job, Christian college boy. That's right. Um, uh, so uh, here's here's an, one of the early church fathers in the 300s, St. Gregory of Nyssa. Um, who wrote much of our best stuff about the Trinity, which shapes our thought down to today. He described it as kind of a bait and switch, we would call it today. Quote, God was hidden under the veil of our nature, that so as with ravenous fish, the hook of God might be gulped down along with the bait of flesh. End of quote. With the bait being Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. um, this was not a fringe view. It was the main view of atonement in many Western church circles, uh, and leading church thinkers. Um, it seems a little crazy to us that Jesus is like God's paying a ransom to this lesser figure, the devil. Um, but it's not so crazy if you look at the culture at that time that, that emphasize. Now, again, Jesus called himself a ransom for many. So, th so that word picture yeah. is part of how the how the atonement works, why the atonement works. That that's theories of atonement are high how and why. Um, the mechanism of it is maybe a way to say it. Um, it feels a little to me like Indiana Jones with the bag of sand <laughs> switching out yeah. the thing real quick. Like, oh, I hope they don't notice this as a, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, one historian of theology writes this, quote, so conscious were the early Christians of the pervasiveness of satanically inspired evil that they developed strong dualistic tendencies. God on one side, the devil on the other, no neutral ground in between. Mm -hmm. And it was, we hear about this in other societies today, but it's always been with us and was very common in those societies uh, that there were marauding gangs out in the countryside who would take captive travelers and the wealthier they were, the more, the higher the ransom they would demand. And, and, uh, of course, the New Testament talks, and Paul talks a number of times that this world has been given, that the prince of this world during this age is actually Satan. So there's, you hear lots of biblical echoes in the ransom theory. Um, however, I don't think it's, it's ultimately satisfying as the only theory of atonement or maybe our first foot forward. Yeah. And you certainly don't hear it taught that way much today in mainline churches or evangelical churches do you no but and it's interesting because um uh it seems to that that view sure seems to put a lot of um maybe power is the right word i don't mm -hmm. know it puts a lot of power on the side of 
Satan, it, you know, it makes for it, it makes for good storytelling. I mean, that yes. seems like feels like the plot of a movie. Like yes. they, they're going undercover. That's the only way it was going to get done. But uh, yeah, I mean, to me, it it it, it feels m- more like the 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 ransom being paid is almost to satisfy it's to satisfy God's own justice more than the some bar the devil had where you got to be at least this good to to get this soul back for me that's right uh, and that's the primary theological critique of the ransom theory today is that it it almost it almost moves from a true Christian theology uh, which is Hebraic and Christian of a truly sovereign God to a dualistic worldview where Satan has almost as much power and who's going to, oh my gosh, which way is it going to go? And thankfully God tricked. I, I think that quote is really interesting yeah. that the early church fathers really kind of thought of as God hoodwinked. He pulled one over on Satan. And, and that's actually, there are hints of that. It's almost a humoristic view of the atonement uh, as one of the mechanisms and and it makes for it's maybe Harrison maybe this is a a way of um, it humanize it's it's a human way we can impute a human type story onto it to get our minds a little more around how and why we know it atones Christ's death and resurrection atones for our sin. Maybe it, it humanizes the how and the why. It's also interesting. I've never, ever, ever thought about this before. I'm sure other smarter people have. But it's, it, you know, it, we in our day and time, just like everyone exploring the Bible and the claims of Christ, we process everything through our culture, our experiences, our filter. And it's interesting because the, what you're talking about there, it, it feels like uh, like an ancient Greek myth. It uh-huh, feels like, uh-huh. and these 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 a lot of these scholars were from that the grecian area there's a lot of influence of that type yes. of culture yes. it feels kind of like uh you have the good gods over here and the bad gods yeah. and they're throwing lightning bolts at each other and yeah. there's this great battle happening and who's, who's going to come up with the best trick yeah who's going to win yeah yeah so, it's interesting so um the second main <clears throat> view that I'll talk about here it became uh now there were hints and different uh uh, elucidations of each of these theories through all periods of, of Western Christian history. But this one came to predominate in the medieval time, and then also a version of it uh, has been the predominant Protestant view, and that is Christ as substitute or substitutionary atonement, um, which is under a lot of critique in our day. Uh, there are a lot of Protestants, particularly evangelical Protestants, self-critiquing some of the weaknesses of a hyper-emphasis of substitutionary atonement alone, which I think most of those critiques are satisfied if you if we allow for several views of the atonement to coexist in God's word, and we let that speak for it rather mm. than our own need to be able to hyper-describe through our own one theory of how the atonement works. Hmm. We just take God's word that it does. So substitutionary atonement is what most of us will be most familiar with. Um, this really <laughs> became St. Anselm uh, is a name that many will not have heard. In the year 1099 AD is when he sort of dropped uh, a bomb or a mic, so to speak. His his equivalent of Martin Luther's 100 theses nailed to the door in Wittenberg that started the Reformation and 
the early 1500s and some uh, around the turn of the century 1100 sort of dropped a, some some writings about this um, and his book was called uh, why God became man and he took the ransom theory to task um, for uh, for Anselm writes one historian the notion that the devil's originator his creator could ever be in his debt was absurd the absolute freedom of the divine being is recovered because for Anselm, the God has the right to act in his own creation just as he pleases, end quote. So in, in the substitutionary atonement theory, it's God's honor that is offended by our, our sin. I think as I probably said it yesterday, God's justice, his goodness, his, all of his attributes. But here we're saying honor. It's God's honor that's offended by our sin and that offense cannot go unanswered. God's honor must be restored. Um, but man, being so much less than God, can never restore that honor on our own. Sound familiar here? The uh, quote: the debt, the debt is total. The obligation to pay it total. The power to pay it zero. Hmm. End of quote. The answer then is found in the sacrifice of Christ. Fully human, he can atone for man. Fully God, he can restore God's honor. This is substitutionary atonement. Anselm describes it this way. Uh, one of the ways of writing, actually, that Western civilization inherited from the Greek philosophers, they would often write their books this way, all the way back to Plato and Socrates. So Anselm wrote this out as though he was having a dialogue with one of his disciples. So uh, uh, here, see if you can read. You read Boso, okay? You're going to be Boso. I'm Boso, be, all right, I got I'm him. Be Anselm. Okay. Anselm. So no one except God can make the satisfaction. That follows. But no one except humanity ought to do it. Otherwise, humanity has not made satisfaction. Nothing could be more just. So if no one except God can make it, and no one except man ought to make it, there must be a God-man to make it. Blessed be God. There, there's mm. our, our short format. That's, this is the way Anselm brought this theory to the forefront. Um, uh, oh, uh, here's a fun fact. Boso is Anselm's main foil throughout this book. Uh, and he's constantly getting it wrong and being corrected by Anselm in the book. Uh, and some have hypothesized that this is where the name Bozo the Clown <laughs> originated. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I had never heard that before. Um, all, uh, all I'm good for around here sometimes is connecting these things to uh, pop culture that pop into my brain. <laughs> so I'm just going to say it now. But it's funny. Uh, because there's there's another uh, super pop culture reference that I'm reminded of when it comes to this uh, atonement theory. If you've ever seen or read The Hunger Games, mm -hmm. uh, the the younger sister of the main protagonist is chosen. Somebody has to be chosen to participate yes. in the games. And the famous line from the book and the movie is she stands up and says, I volunteer as tribute. She's yes. kind of raising her hand saying, the price has to be paid. I'm going to step into that place and take it, yes. uh, which is yeah. Wow, that is a contemporary example. Um, that's yeah, good, good, good catch there. And then interesting to note, Harrison. Sometimes the culture that we're in, get, when a culture develops and progresses or changes, sometimes it gives human beings a new lens and they see new things in Scripture that they didn't before. That they they had a cultural lid or they didn't even have a conceptual frame, and sometimes that's good sometimes that's distorting and and what's interesting here is that this 
uh, theory coming to the forefront, substitutionary atonement, developed when medieval feudal Europe European culture was flowering. Hmm. And the feudal system in the Middle Ages uh, was that order in society was built on the idea you owed somebody something. Hmm. The serfs working the land owed their protection to the lords and the knights who owned it, who in turn owed their loyalty to a regional lord or sovereign. And that system of order was based on personal or semi-personal relationships rather than a strict code of laws. <clears throat> if you did something wrong or you offended the, you were offending the honor. Think of the honor culture as we see popular movies and King Arthur and all that. You were offending the honor of the person above you. And, and the more noble the person you offended, the greater your reparation needed to be. Hmm. Um, uh, and... and if yeah, so uh, I think we're mostly familiar with that one, and we all of us who've grown up Protestant, uh, and I mostly spoke through the lens of that view of atonement on Sunday. However, I noticed my own self. I I was not speaking of it only as a courtroom sort of scenario. Oh, some we got to have the right person to pay this debt. Here's the judgment handed down. Blah blah blah. I. Sp- I, I found myself, Harrison, and, and I, I kind of wanted to stop and write this out more. Um, I found myself more spe- – and I appreciate this language of, of, of restoring the honor of God. I found myself speaking it in, in some fresh ways for myself that it, there, there was something almost, um, I don't know, existential – you know, I, I overuse the word mystical – but something about Jesus' atonement, um, yes, more than only my sins plus your sins plus mm-hmm. your mama's sins and all the sins of the world, add those up, atones for that. More than that, I was glimpsing that it's also a, a restoring the, the dishonor toward God. Yeah. Uh, when we have done those things, not only the exact price. Um, Which is why I, I think the major strength of this view that you laid out so well on Sunday is that it feels like a full scripture, full plan of God from the beginning hmm. thing, which is you can't you can't read through the Old Testament and understand God's relationship with his chosen people without looking at this system of sacrifice uh, and this spotless lamb, uh, uh, a sacrifice with no blemish. Like the, it's been, it wasn't just plucked out of thin air come no. Jesus time where God said, now I'm going to make up this system of how I think things can yeah. be made Came right with, with me. I've got an idea. Yeah. This, this is, this had <laughs> been happening. AD, yeah. It was just the, the, perfection of of that in in Christ which i i think is what has made this particular view so lasting is that it really seems to encompass god's plan for, from the israelites all the way through jesus and and beyond and explains his role so well in terms of the old testament structure of sacrifice mm-hmm. and that act of like you said of being uh, that that otherness of being made right with God, what that looks like. Uh, so yeah, um, 
Inter- thank you for that. Interestingly, Harrison, in the article that I'm just using, I just pulled it up quickly as my source material because I've studied all this. I just wanted to have it in front of me. I just knows this author has very few followers, uh, but he's written this well. Um, he actually uh, he's going a little further uh, here and uh, and delineates between substitutionary atonement and then another theory, um, which is penal substitutionary atonement. Hmm. Most uh, most uh, theologians would say would kind of lump these two together, um, but. Uh, but really, the Reformation view, and we are Reformed, it does take it to a, more of a step of penal substitutionary atonement. What I was just saying that I was finding myself doing Sunday was was I was emphasizing a little less specifically the penal side of this uh, and more of the pure atonement. Um, so... The, um, uh, 500 years after Anselm invented the word bozo, um, the the Reformation happened. John Calvin, Martin Luther, uh, but they went a little further with this theory that it was not just that God's honor was offended. It was that God, the ultimate judge of the universe, cannot let human sin go unpunished. So, uh, uh, um, But as in Anselm's theory, um, uh, man has fallen so far short of God that he can't possibly come close to repaying God for his sins. Only God can. So Christ comes to earth as fully human, fully God, receives our pun. This one is a little bit more punishment focused. Sure. If you hear this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and God's demand for justice is fulfilled. I think in the, the, the substitutionary atonement theory includes, uh, yes, sin itself and the punishment for it, uh, in God's justice is satisfied, but it's also a bit larger than only God's justice. The the marks on God's goodness, the uh, the diminishment of His glory. That's not actually possible, but right. But um, what uh, um, is atoned for? Penal substitutionary atonement is focused on God's justice toward human sin, almost fully. Mm-hmm. And I think that's some of the critique of it today. It, uh, um, a modern conservative theologian describes this the penal substitutionary atonement this way, quote, The Father, because of his love for human beings, sent his Son, who offered himself willingly and gladly, to satisfy God's justice so that Christ took the place of sinners. The punishment and penalty we deserve was laid on Jesus Christ instead of us, so that in the cross both God's holiness and love are manifested. Um now, the term penal substitutionary atonement was not used by Calvin. That term wasn't used until the 1800s. Um, uh, but it's, uh, it, it remains the dominant view of the atonement for most um, orthodox uh, evangelical Western Christians today. Uh, and they say that evidence for this theory is found in both the Old and New Testaments, just as you just took us through. Right. And in Isaiah 53, I didn't even quote that one Sunday uh, that our sins, the punishment due us was laid on him. I mean, it's as plain as that in mm-hmm. Isaiah 53. Yeah. This, so like the first two, this is biblical. It is part of what God is doing, um, if not largely what God is doing, accomplishing at the atonement. Um, uh, Romans three twenty one through 26 
uh, in part, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood. Hmm. Uh, the difference um, noted between one historian, between Anselm's substitutionary atonement and this penal substitutionary atonement, the, the difference is slight but important. Uh, one theologian describes it this way, quote, In Anselm's theory, punishment is averted. In penal substitution, punishment is absorbed. Hmm. Interesting. Um, the main objection by critics, however, is, is the nature of God that's assumed by both of these theories. One modern theologian describes Anselm's God as a, quote, status paranoid power monger who deliberately humiliates and infantilizes human beings under the guise of justice, end quote. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, Okay, let's go. I'm going to skip over one that has been widely considered unbiblical and unhelpful for a long time, although it was held off and on. Well, this is the ethical view. Number four, Christ is an example. I'll just name it. And this is that the example, the moral example of what Christ did for us is so inspiring and transforming. It motivates us to love God and to be better and to repent. Um, and while that is true, it inspires us, it inspires those who are not Christians. That has, that has theolo Christian theologians say, yes, that's true, but that has almost nothing to do with the mechanism of how it leads to atonement. The inspiration, humankind is not capable of being inspired enough to attain to atonement. Yeah. <laughs> That's the whole point of it. And so I, I'll spend no more time on the ethical view, Christ as the moral influence, if you want to Google that, theory of the atonement. The final one I mentioned ha has become ascendant among evangelicals, and I'll say among people in my Gen, Gen X evangelical uh, uh, Christians like me, and you'll hear in my teaching, if you study this one much, me, um, I mostly marry together this view with substitutionary atonement. They, okay. they, I find them most compelling in Scripture. And this is uh, Christus Victor, Christ as Victor. Um, and there are some who claim this is a, only a recent view of the atonement. That That's not true, but, uh, but some of the more recent explications of it are the ones that, that we take. Um, uh, so this is in some ways a reinterpretation of the ransom theory, um, uh, and that, uh, you, the, a worse version of Christus Victor is it goes back to a dualistic view and it's just a battle. Oh no, who's going to win And the resurrection Christ was victorious. Um, but when you take all the other biblical views, uh, of atonement and you understand this is God's sovereign plan from the beginning. Uh, and I, I just sat with our women's study group on the book of Revelation a couple of weeks ago. And it's really funny, Harrison, when you go back and reread Revelation 20, there's a lot of battle scenes, but the final one, when Christ shows up, there's not even a battle. Hmm. It's like he shows up and it's over. It's done. It's, uh, 
it, it, there's nothing hanging in the balance. God's sovereign plan is going to happen. And everybody knows it, and, and here it goes. So mm-hmm. let me see if I can. Um, the New Testament, uh, this Christus Victor, the New Testament in several places uh, calls Satan the ruler of this earth. Um, and everything Jesus was about centered on vanquishing this empire, taking back the world Satan had seized, restoring its rightful viceroys, humans, to their position of guardians of the earth, writes one hmm. theologian. Um, uh, supporters of Christus Victor point to many motifs found in various passages throughout the New Testament, like the power of Satan and his demonic hosts and our enslavement to sin needing to be broken, not to mention literally the entire book of Revelation, <laughs> which is this ultimate final battle. Um, this view of atonements, may, maybe its, its greatest emphasis is on the cosmic significance of Christ um, in addition to personal salvation. Substitutionary atonement, atonement and penal substitutionary atonement at its worst can only emphasize individual salvation. What Christus Victor is credited with recapturing biblically and theologically is what, uh, if you read Paul's great soaring hymns about Jesus as the Christ in his New Testament letters, it's referred to as the cosmic Christ, the conquering Christ, who is Lord of all above. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's the victor, right? Right. and so, because of uh, 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 and so, the cosmic significance of Christ is, uh, and His eternal lordship is emphasized as much as my personal sins being atoned for. In other words, the purpose of all of this <laughs> revolves more around Christ than it does around me. I am mm-hmm. a blessed inclusion because God loves me, but it is not. In the end, about me, it is about the elevation of Christ as Lord of all. Um, and and so, and and what I like most about Christus Victor is it's the theory that requires the resurrection. Hmm. <laughs> um, penal substitutionary atonement and substitutionary atonement and ransom theory. Th- now, this is my own riff here, Harrison. Um, that I may be wrong here. I think those theories hold true whether or not Christ rise from the dead. Christus Victor actually gets us the larger uh, biblical narrative and the larger theological significance and identification of Christ as that second person of the Trinity. Mm. Um, and we're told, you know, he rose from the dead, leading captives in his wake. Um uh, and that he rose in, I mean, the word victory is used over and over and over. Um, so I, I think that's why, uh, for me personally, um, you will hear me most often speak of both. You'll hear me say, he died, I, I've, I've made myself re-add, be sure that I use the language of atonement. I, I realized I wasn't using it enough. And so I'll say he died. You'll just hear this. When I, I'm doing a two-sentence gospel. He died an atoning death for our sins on the cross. Three days later, he rose victoriously defeating sin, shame, and death. Hmm. Uh, and to me, that's Christ as substitutionary atonement, Christ as victor. And the resurrection specifically to you is what makes the second sentence of that statement 
the most possible is the resurrection was his the the act of defeating the price has been paid by his death yes the resurrection is his defeating of sin and death yeah yes that makes sense yes yeah otherwise it's not required Mm. why is it part of the plan yeah i mean we could say other reasons why but it's not part of atonement uh and i think atonement includes christ's death and resurrection that's interesting um rick rick warren's famous book the purpose driven life famously begins with the line it's not about you <laughs> uh which you know i i think it sounds like we're you're landing us on all this stuff tend strongly toward that which is uh uh the bigger picture here is not about you or me or any one of us individually it's about the greater work of what god wanted to accomplish and what he wanted to be done so yeah yes amen well, now that um, we have now that we've prepared you sufficiently to take the nap that you're feeling coming on right now after a dive into five theories of the Christian atonement, uh, you're welcome, and we will talk to you next time. We'll see you guys next time. Have a good one.